he said to me, he said, you know, the difference between them and most of us uh, is not intellect. It's not the college degree. It's one thing, and that is focus. Hello and welcome to Pillars of Wealth Creation, where we talk about creating financial success with a special focus on business and real estate. I'm your host, Todd Dexheimer. Now, let's get to it. Hey, our sponsor for the show today is Pine Financial Group, the leader in hard money lending in Colorado and Minnesota, and they were recently approved to offer their investment publicly. This investment offers only for investors in Colorado and Minnesota and is only made through their investment prospects. Get your copy today. Simply visit www.pineinvestments.com and click to get started. Look, there's a reason why some of the wealthiest people in history invest in loans backed by real estate. Learn more about the risks and returns at www.pineinvestments.com. Welcome back to Pillars of Wealth Creation. I'm your host, Todd Dexermer. With me today, I've got Paul Moore. Paul, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Great to be here. Awesome. I appreciate you joining us. A little bit about Paul uh, I, I met Paul just uh, what a month ago, and uh, we were able to sit down and talk a little bit. and And I wanted to have Paul on here because he comes with a lot of experience. He was in the corporate world uh, for quite some time. He also started a staffing company, uh, sold that to a publicly traded firm uh, about five years ago, and uh, and did a lot of good stuff in in that uh, you know in the corporate world and then he transitioned into real estate did a lot of flipping uh, he appeared on HGTV which you'll have to tell us a little bit about that um, completed a, a bunch of flips managed a, a lot of rental properties um, did a few developments um, and now is including well I see here including a Hyatt hotel um, and multifamily housing project and then now you've got a, a podcast called how to lose money you are now also doing uh, you've got some funds going for commercial real estate I know we talked quite a bit about self-storage I know you're in the self-storage. Uh, you've done some multifamily. You own a building uh, in this one of the same cities I own a building in. So you're doing a lot of different stuff. And I'm excited to get started. Paul, can you give our listeners a little more maybe defined uh, background and uh, let them know what you're doing? So Todd, hey, I know you can see me vi visually and you probably think I'm in my 40s, but I'm actually in my mid-50s. Those are you who are watching no, I'm kidding because I actually probably look in my 60s. But I actually, we sold our company 22 years ago uh, to a publicly traded firm in Detroit. And then I got into real estate. I got into all kinds of uh, flipping houses before flipping was a thing. I helped finance a commercial development in Colorado Springs. Uh, and then we got into construction. And you know, Todd, Somebody who doesn't know how to hang a doorknob on their own bedroom door should probably not be a builder. That's <laughs> one of the things I learned over the years. And that's one of the fun stories we tell on our How to Lose Money podcast. The podcast is actually uh, uh, where, where we interview successful entrepreneurs, investors, and executives about their failures and 
heartaches and money losses along the road to success. So you probably don't have any of those, but if yeah, right. you know, we'd love to have you on the show. Uh, if you'd like to, to be on the show. And like you said, we do own uh, apartments in the same city in Kentucky. So uh, currently my focus is we've developed two funds that are uh, allowing people who want to invest in recession resistant assets like self-storage, mobile home parks, and multifamily to invest in a diversified uh, group of assets. Uh, one's a growth fund and the other is an income and growth fund at Wellings Capital. Awesome. Great, great. And uh, and yeah, I do have a couple bumps and bruises along the way. So I definitely know different ways to lose money. <laughs> if uh, like, like most of us who have been in business for a while, uh, have experienced. So yeah. Um, well, let's dive in a little bit. So you mentioned this uh, fund right now, uh, or the, the funds that you've got right now, and your focus is self-storage, multifamily, mobile home parks. Um, why, why those sectors? So uh, multifamily, I, I wrote a book called The Perfect Investment, which is profiting from the enduring, you know, the, the current shift to multifamily housing in the US. I, I botched the subtitle there, but you can go find it on Amazon or my website. Uh, but I love multifamily. But the problem, Todd, as you know, is that multifamily has become really overheated. And for guys in our 50s who had made mistakes along the way, our team at Wellings Capital decided, hey, we don't want to be on the wrong side of a bad deal when, you know, we aren't able to work anymore, you know, someday, or we don't want to work anymore. And so I decided, you know, I'm just not, we're just unwilling to overpay for any asset. We're not willing to speculate, you know, uh, investing is when your principal is generally safe and you've got a chance to make a return, but speculating is when your principal is not at all safe and you've got a chance to make a return on that principal. And so I think, you know, right now I feel like some people are speculating on multifamily. I feel like they're counting on the, not only the rents, but the values going up and the cap rates continuing to compress. And that's making me really nervous. And so about a year and a half ago, we decided we are going to expand our vision and start looking at self-storage and mobile home parks. And Todd, I was actually shocked that even though I was in love with multifamily and told my wife I would never do anything else, um, I was really surprised at the fragmented nature of ownership in the self-storage and mobile home park arenas. And so we found opportunities that we have not seen in multifamily for a while. We also found that they have very sticky tenant bases, which means they are able to easily ride through and hopefully even prosper during recessions. And because of that, we have really enjoyed expanding out into those arenas. Now, we didn't have a team who had done self-storage and mobile home parks, so we decided it would be in our best interest to partner with others and bring equity to their deals. And so that's what we're doing with the Wellings 
uh, capital funds right now. So um, with, with the self-storage in particular, I know there's, and it's an industry that I'm definitely interested in, um, been researching on, but I know that there's been a lot of building in the yeah. self-storage yeah. uh, area. So what do you look for to ensure that you're not buying in one of those areas that's been overbuilt? I think I heard a statistic, um, and I can't remember what state it was. It might have been Texas or I can't remember, but they have increased their building by like 60%. Oh, yeah. Um, and, and now they're you know, there's concessions and there's mm -hmm. uh, rents are declining and, and that's in that particular state. It's not necessarily every state, but so what are you guys looking for in order to make sure you're not getting in the market like yeah. that? Yeah. Well, building certainly follows demand and the demand for self-storage has increased in small towns and large cities across America. The problem is as people have been, uh, chased out of single family, multifamily, other asset classes, uh, self-storage has gotten a lot of new uh, developers and new uh, investors. And there are REITs that were, you know, basically trying to find value and they are willing to go in and they're willing to overbuild. They would rather than, you know, get one or 2% on their money and it's some kind of a money market account, they would rather get a few more percent by building self-storage in an already overbuilt area. So that is a definite problem. Uh, I heard a story, Todd, about somebody who built self-storage in Charlotte right next to other self-storage. And uh, basically they're uh, handing the keys back to the bank now. And um, so the situation is, it's, it's a real issue for sure. And the way we go about that, I'm finally getting to your question, would be to look for holes in demographic holes where there is less self-storage than average. The national average for self-storage is about six and a half to seven and a half square feet per person. And that includes every man, woman, and child in a radius of three, four, or say five miles, depending on the density of the area. So let's take a four mile radius. And if there is uh, 70,000 square feet of self storage, in theory, that would, uh, you'd want to see a population of about 10,000 people in that same radius. Now, if the uh, uh, supply to population ratio is much less, let's say three square feet per person, or like where we're investing now in Minneapolis, about two square feet per person, then that is a potentially a great place to build. That's number one. Number two, we're looking for a highly trafficked street with a lot of car traffic. Number three, we're looking to be highly visible on that street. And number four, we're looking for income in that radius of higher than average for the area and for the U.S. It doesn't have to be extremely high, but we're looking for higher than average income and we definitely don't want to be in a war zone. So those are four of the things we're looking for as we go to build or we go to invest in a new self-storage facility.
And are you guys, you just mentioned build, are you looking at building uh, or are you looking at buying a pre-existing? Yeah, so there are about four different strategies for self-storage investing. One is certainly just investing in an income-producing property, and we would do that in our income fund. Another is doing a, a value-add, which we might do in either fund. Another is a ground-up development, which we would do in our growth fund. And we are being very, very careful when we invest in ground-up development for the reasons you said but we are investing in occasional ground up developments. We've done one so far and that's the one near you in Minnesota. Yeah, I think the, um, the study I, I was actually was listening to, um, the, the development is so attractive because it's, it's cheap, right? Mm -hmm. You're building garages, um, maybe with heat or maybe without, but it's fairly cheap. You're building a, a storage facility, very little extra other than you've got lights and like I said, potentially heat. Um, and so it's fairly cheap to build, easy to put up. Now, some municipalities are, are trying to uh, curb too much overbuilding is what they've been mentioning, but that's just something. And I really like how you detailed what you guys are looking for at, uh, with these opportunities. Cause um, you do have to be careful in any industry. I mean, they're overbuilding multifamily in certain sectors are overbuilding a lot of different, uh, um, air, you know, classes of uh, commercial real estate. And, and right. we got to be careful obviously when we buy, um, you mentioned, uh, with these, uh, multifamily, how a lot of people are overpaying for them. And, and I, I very much agree with you on that. There's a lot of investors and I, I would, some of them are my friends that are overpaying for them. Um, and, or at least I think that are overpaying for them. We'll find out. Yeah. Um, what as a, as a passive investor, or even even as a as an active investor such as yourself, what do you what are a couple of the key metrics that you are looking at when you're saying, okay, this I th think this is being overpaid for. Are there any things that really stick out that somebody can go, oh yeah, Paul mentioned that that, yeah. that I should really be looking <clears throat> at this. Yeah, great question. So um, you probably know Rod Cleef. Rod Cleef was, uh, he has a podcast, he's based in Florida, and he said that his net worth went up 35 million, I think it was in 2006, uh, on paper, and then it dropped 50 million between 2000, 2007 and eight on paper, and he ended up losing everything. He lost because he was banking on appreciation. Yep. He lost because he was deeply involved in a lot of single family rentals that uh, he said, actually, his multifamily, if they hadn't been cross collateralized, he would have been fine with his multifamily. And he's now obsessed with multifamily investing. And so he was on our podcast and, and he told that story. And I, I, really, uh, I really thought that that was really good advice to look for cash flow first and appreciation second. Uh, second thing to look for would be if the syndicator is assuming a significantly compressed cap rate in the sale, well, that's okay, but you, they better have some really good reason 
for saying that the cap rate will be much lower, which means the price will be much higher uh, pound for pound than it is today. So look for the cap rate on the entrance and the exit. Um, third, I would look for how aggressive people are planning to be, the syndicators planning to be on rent increases. Are they showing a significant rent increase in year one? Well, Todd, you know that's pretty hard to get. And uh, are they looking for significant rent increases indefinitely into the future? That is that realistic? Are the rent increases going up much higher than inflation and much higher than the cost increases? Is their OPEX you know, increasing at 1% while they're assuming their rent increases always increase at 5%? That's not super realistic. Uh, so those are some of the things I would be looking for as a potential investor. Yeah, yeah a lot of good things you mentioned there. I think the cap rate one is uh, one thing I see quite a bit. I, I just saw one the other day where a group was saying, well, we're entering at a, a five cap uh, and we're going to exit at 5.5, which you know sounds like, okay, they're at least being uh, conservative. But then when you look at the true market cap in that market right now, it's not a five cap. It's actually closer to a six cap. Mm -hmm. um, so they're just purchasing the property for too aggressive of a price. Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean that they're being conservative to the numbers. It actually, quite frankly, means the opposite. So mm. an investor, um, somebody who's going to be passively investing, you might want to do your research at what the actual market cap rate truly is, not just what that group is buying it at. Right. Day. The other thing, yeah, the, the rent increases and that, and that cash flow. I mean, you mentioned the cash flow. If you're cash flowing today, um, you know, conservatively, hopefully through a recession, you should be able to continue cash flow. But if you're banking on appreciation, um, then we've got other issues. Right. Um, because if it does go down before we do reach our cash flow uh, projections, well, then, then we've got a bad investment. Right. Another thing I'd be concerned about too is if they're getting a steeply leveraged interest-only loan that, uh, you know, like, you know, a bridge loan or something like that, assuming that they're going to have massive appreciation before that comes due and assuming that the interest rate will be the same or lower than it is today when that does come due on their long-term debt. That all may happen, but what if it doesn't? Yep. Yep. I mean, it looks like it's going to, right? When you look at the interest rates, it's like there's no end in sight, but it could change pretty quick. Mm -hmm. we just don't right. Know. Hey, let's take a minute to thank our sponsor, Pine Financial Group. Look, you work hard for your money. Is your money working hard for you? Because of inflation, money sitting idle erodes your wealth. Many investors understand that real estate is a great investment, but may not want the effort or the risk that comes with owning their own property. They want to sit back and have payments, hit their bank account each and every month. Stop eroding your wealth and start building it by asking your money to work for you. You should be earning profits while you sleep in investment backed by real estate. Pine Financial Group, the leader in hard money lending in Colorado and Minnesota, was recently approved to offer their investment publicly. 
This investment offers only for investors in Colorado and Minnesota and is only made through the investment prospectus. Get your copy today. Simply visit www.pineinvestments.com and click to get started. There's a reason why some of the wealthiest people in history invest in loans backed by real estate. Learn more about the risks and returns at www.pineinvestments.com. It's www.pineinvestments.com. Well, great. Good, really good information. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about, you know, on the business side of things, you, um, you operate a business, sold it to a publicly traded company. You've now been doing this real estate for a while, uh, for quite a while and, and have had some success in that. Uh, you've got a podcast, so you listen and, and talk to all kinds of business owners, CEOs, all that kind of stuff. So why don't you give me uh, some advice, maybe, maybe three key things that you've learned on how to operate a business successfully. Okay. Well, so I'm, I'm thinking here. So, uh, Barry Farah was a business partner of mine in Michigan and he actually was the guy who did the Hyatt hotel. Barry also ran for governor of Colorado a few years ago unsuccessfully, but um, Barry uh, said in that process, he rubbed shoulders with all kinds of super wealthy, super successful people. And he said to me, he said, you know, the difference between them and most of us uh, is not intellect. It's not the college degree. It's one thing. And that is focus. He mm -hmm. said that uh, these people generally figured out what they wanted to do in their teens or their early 20s, and they put their focus on that one thing, Todd, and they just stayed on that. And they said no to thousands of distractions, which allowed them to say yes to the one thing that they had their focus on. And that's why a lot of people have done much better than others, even if those other people might have been more successful. The problem, Todd, is us entrepreneurs are an optimistic bunch, which mean we are tending the same kind of people who tend to get excited about something new, get excited about a change, get excited about a new startup. And some of the most successful people have done that. I mean, I'm thinking of Elon Musk right now. But how much more successful would he be if he just did one thing really well rather than a dozen? Uh, Richard Branson seems to be able to do a lot of things well at once. He started like 500 companies, but I think he's had like 250 failures as well. And how much would he have been better off if he'd have done a couple really, really well? We'll never know. But my favorite book is Gary Keller and Jay Papazon's The One Thing. And that is uh, about this thing called focus. So that's one. Uh, second <clears throat> would be not swinging for the fences. You know, Babe Ruth was uh, a legendary home run hitter, the home run king for decades. But, you know, he was also a legendary strikeout king. He led the American lead at League in strikeouts for at least five seasons. And, you know, he did well with what he did. But as investors, can we really afford that? I mean, if we keep swinging for the fences like I tried to do through my 30s and 40s, if we keep swinging for the fences every time, 
you know, we're going to strike out a lot. And when you have a lot of money, potentially millions of dollars of our money and potentially investors' money on the line, we can't really afford to strike out. And so um, as I've gotten older, I've learned the value of trying to hit singles and doubles and trying to be focused. So those are two things. Um, as far as a third thing, I would just say, I've resisted this over the years, but just really, really um, always um, staying uh, mindful of the need to keep being educated, uh, to keep doing books, audio books, podcasts, reading books. You know, I, I, for years I thought, I don't have time to read books. I'm falling into bed dead tired every night after working these long hours. But I think it's really, really important. And I've really, really rededicated myself to that the last several years and really enjoyed that, you know, that desire and that need to keep being educated. Yeah, I, I, I can relate to that last one. I mean, I did the same thing. I, I would I read a lot my early, you know, when I first began and then you get so busy. And like you said, you just fall into bed. You're so tired. You've worked the whole day and you, just, you don't have time to read. Uh, and now I've refocused back to reading, listening to podcasts, um, just educating myself, going to conferences, stuff like that. So, yeah, um, you know, Warren that. Buffett spends like 80% of his days reading. Yeah. Yeah. Still crazy. Yeah. Um, Paul, what's one of your bigger mistakes uh, and how have you learned from it? Mm, so many to choose from. Um, one of my biggest mistakes actually turned into a big success. Um, and, um, I've talked about it before on other shows. I, uh, really, this is talk about speculating versus investing. Uh, I was, there was this buying craze of land at Smith mountain Lake in Virginia back about 15 years ago. So we were buying lots we were going in and clear, uh, clearing out the brush, uh, thinning the trees, putting a beautiful park bench and a eight by 12 sign on it. And we were selling these waterfront lots in the building craze at the re this resort lake for about a hundred to $125,000 profit in pretty short time frame. And so we loved doing that, but we thought that that, you know, would just continue, you know, this time it's different, as they said before 2008, right? And um, so we bought a five acre waterfront parcel with the belief that the state uh, would certainly make this road in front of it a state maintained road soon, which would mean we could divide it into five one acre lots. Well, that was not the case. And when we went into the recession, we thought as a backup, well, certainly somebody would want to pay the seven or $800,000 we had into this, even if we just sell it as a five acre lot, it's such a nice lot. But um, we found out that that wasn't true in the recession, everything turned against us and found myself two and a half million dollars in debt mm -hmm. in uh, December of 2007. And of course, we didn't even know how bad the recession we were going into was going to be. Um, in summary, it's, it's a really long, fun story. But one of my uh, heroes I've read about a lot is a guy named George Mueller out of England. He was a German who had moved to England, and he actually raised uh, a couple hundred million dollars in today's 
uh, dollars. And he had really unique tactics for doing that. But I actually uh, decided, I told my family and a couple friends who were encouraging me to file bankruptcy at some point, uh, and told them we were going to give our way out of debt. So we started giving generously to charities and uh, things we were passionate about. And within four weeks of starting that, that giving campaign in January of 2008, we actually stumbled across a way to subdivide this five acre lot that nobody, including the county themselves who made and enforced the laws had ever heard of. We just kind of had this amazing light bulb moment that came out of nowhere. And um, within uh, 13 months, we were completely debt free. So it's pretty awesome the way it ended, but it was a very painful lesson not to speculate. Wow. That's a, that's a pretty cool story. So more of the story is, is give, right? <laughs> yeah, I really believe that. Yeah. Wow. That's really cool. Um, what, um, take us through that mind shift. You were a corporate, uh, person and you, then you started, you know, your own company and now you're doing the real estate. Take us through that entrepreneur mind shift. Do you remember, was there like a light bulb moment or what, what happened there? No, I worked at Ford Motor Company in Dearborn in Detroit, Michigan, and really liked the company. But I found myself on evenings and weekends and lunch hours just daydreaming of starting my own company. I didn't know what I wanted to do. But, um, you know, I, I just, it seemed like I should have been an entrepreneur. So I never disparaged Ford. I still don't to this day. I drive a Ford to this day. But um, I... Um, I just found myself wanting to do something on my own. I think the problem with the freedom that I had is I, I did, well, I did a tax webinar with a CPA yesterday and I said, you know, certain people shouldn't have self-directed IRAs. And that was kind of a shock to people, I think, because obviously I'm a big proponent of these things. But I said, there are certain people who chase shiny objects and the kind of people who you know, tend to not be really careful with their time management or their money management that they would, you know, if they had a million dollars in their IRA, they might throw it all down one oil well, speculating that it's going to turn out 10x. And, uh, you know, that can be really, really dangerous. Well, the same thing's true of our time. And I found out as an entrepreneur that my time management, it was really hard to manage. And I struggled with it for years. And so the mindset shift for me was, you know, reading the one thing from Gary Keller and really learning to focus on what was most important. And I realized that not all tasks are equal because, you know, the finishing, you know, getting my email box down from uh, my inbox down from 100 to 40 today is not equal to writing a next, the next chapter for a book or producing a blog or webinar. They're not equal. And yet I can go home with the same satisfaction tonight if I got my email inbox down, like I really accomplished something, but maybe I really didn't. Are there certain um, kind of habits or strategies you use in order to maintain that focus on, on the important tasks? And I think that's really a challenge for a lot of people, yeah. including myself, quite frankly. Yeah, I do something that uh, Gary Keller talks about called goal setting to the now, which means I take my 20-year goal, then I turn it into a, okay, where do I need to be in five years to hit that? Where do I need to be in one year to hit that? Where do I need to be this month to hit that? And then what do I need to do this week? 
and then it has to hit my calendar. So that I go through that process and I use a document, uh, a system that Keller Williams Realty teaches uh, and that's Gary Keller teaches called the 411. And the 411 is just that process I just mentioned. Um, and so I try to stay on top of that. If you could see my calendar that's just to my right over here, I put an X across each day where I actually live by the calendar and the 411, and then I leave each day blank, but I don't. And so I just get that adrenaline rush, hopefully most days from putting that X on the calendar. Ah, cool. Yeah, that's good. Good, good information there. Um, so what are your goals uh, moving forward? What, what's kind of that long-term vision? Yeah, so I've got a real desire to, um, I, first of all, I, I semi-retired. I didn't mention that as part of my history in my mid-30s. I wasn't even 34 yet. And um, I, I considered myself semi-retired investor, and I was really uh, miserable. Uh, I, I tried to, I thought I was going to be a great father and husband and spend all this time with my family and friends. And really just became kind of miserable because I was this driven type type A entrepreneur and I didn't know what to do with myself. So yeah. another totally different type of time management problem, I guess. But um, my goal is not to retire again. Uh, my goal is to stay actively involved in commercial real estate investing. My goal is to leave a mark on history. And I know that's a big thing to say, but hey, I don't know, Todd, uh, while I'm breathing, I might as well do something important. And so one thing I'm really passionate about is thwarting human trafficking and rescuing its victims. Hmm. Uh, do you know, Todd, if you took the record profits, not the average, the record profits of Apple, General Motors, Nike, and Starbucks, added those together, double that number, that would be the approximate revenues generated annually by human trafficking. And it's a huge, huge tragedy. So my goal is to get the word out and tell people how serious this is, tell people there are ways we can fight this, encourage people to donate money and time to fighting this. And so I wanna do that and I wanna do that wherever I am in my blogging or podcast or speaking or books. And I also, like I said, want to stay heavily involved in investing in recession-resistant commercial real estate. Cool. Awesome. A um, couple, couple more questions. Uh, you've already mentioned the one thing, so you, you can't mention that one again. What's your favorite book, uh, not including your own? What's your favorite book? Um. That's tough. Um, the one thing would have been it. Uh, another big one that I've really enjoyed uh, would be Ray Dalio's Principles. And I went through that this year. It's a very long read. and uh, But I really think it has been super helpful. Another one I've really enjoyed is Good to Great by Jim Collins. It's an oldie, but a really, really good book. And I love the things he goes through yep. in that book. Yep. All right. Well, we'll put the one thing down on the show notes and we'll also put principles and, uh, and good to great. So, uh, last question before we wrap up, what are your three pillars of wealth creation? All right. So one would be investing and not speculating. And I talked about that earlier. 
So investing, not speculating. Number two, uh, I wish I had the quote off the top of my head, but um, Paul Samuelson said, I got it. Paul Samuelson is the first Nobel Prize winner in economics from the U.S. And he said, investing should be like watching paint dry or watching grass grow. If you really want excitement, take $800 and go to Las Vegas. So secondly, I would say investing should be, true investing should be generally pretty boring. And um, that's hard because as type A entrepreneurs, we want it to be exciting. We want investing to be exciting, just like our entrepreneurial goals are, but it's not supposed to be, you know, Warren Buffett would, and Howard Marks would probably say, it's not supposed to be all that exciting. And so that's my second one. Uh, My third one I already mentioned earlier would be focus. I can't be an expert at dozens of different things. And so I want to become an expert in one or two things that I really know well and know how to invest in. Awesome. Awesome. Great, great uh, advice there. So uh, last thing is how can our listeners get in touch with you? All right. Well, they can reach out to us at our website, which is wellingscapital.com. That's W-E-L-L-I-N-G-S-C-A-P-I-T-A-L, wellingscapital.com. Awesome. And you have one book out there right now. Well, two books, technically. You said you got right. a regional book too, but you've got one main book out there. What was the name of that again? It's called The Perfect Investment. And it's about uh, what I believe to be the perfect investment. That's multi large scale, multifamily housing. And that's available on Amazon. And then I've got another book that is coming out before the end of 2019 on self storage investing. Okay. Awesome. Well, we'll, uh, we'll watch for that when that does come out. Um, we'll get an update and we'll, we'll throw that on the show notes. If people are listening uh, into in 2020 or late 2019. All right. All right. Well, Paul, I appreciate you joining us on the show. Appreciate the the time you're able to spend with us. All right. You bet. Todd, it's been an honor. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. Hey, special thanks to Paul Moore. Appreciate him joining us on the show and a ton of value that we were able to, to have from Paul. So a couple things I took from this episode. First, he talks about the difference between highly successful people and the rest is their focus. And that's a a theme that I hear a lot from other guests on the show, and it definitely rings true. So uh, your focus is going to be a major, major part of your success. Uh, Next thing he talks about um, is that, investing should be boring. It shouldn't be exciting. It shouldn't be super challenging. Uh, It should just be boring. It should be fairly plain. Uh, But that's what's going to just be be steady. And investing shouldn't be this uh, get-rich-quick thing a lot of people want. So uh, the last thing, and this kind of goes along with with investing should be boring is don't swing for the fences. He talks uh, about just being in control. Uh, If you're in control, if you're getting those singles and uh, doubles and just being in control, you're going to have a lot more success than if you're trying to always hit some major 
home run swinging for the fences. It just doesn't typically lead to uh, continual success. You might have success here and there, but it doesn't lead to continuous success and at least a failure uh, more often than not and, and things that could really set you back. So uh, again, appreciate Paul joining us and take one or, or two things from this episode and apply it to your business. I challenge you to do that, apply it to your business and uh, really allow it to uh, make positive impact on your daily habits and daily routines. Uh, reach out to Paul, give him a shout out, and I appreciate you joining the show. Talk to you next time. Make every day a Saturday. Hey, thanks for listening to the show. A couple things before we go again. Go on to our Facebook page, Pillars of Wealth. We'd love to have you on there. Go on to iTunes, give us a rating and review, and subscribe to the show. Also, um, you know, don't forget, reach out to me if you want any help with uh, potentially growing your business, and reach out to John Styles to help you buy or sell real estate. Thanks for listening. We appreciate it. Have a fantastic the rest of the day. And as I say, make every day a Saturday.